0: Please subscribe for "Designers of Paradise" at iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today is Kevin Jones. Kevin is the founder of SoCap. He's also founder of Neighborhood Economics and Good Capital. So today's conversation, uh, we're going to go as as usual. We're going to probably range around a bit um, with uh, tangential information and, and inspiration. But um, I'm primarily interested today in talking uh, with you, Kevin, around the economic elements. We, don't, we haven't gotten into that too much in our series so far, but clearly, uh, you know, the entire regenerative movement goes beyond food and land in, into economics, into community and this kind of thing. But also, um, you know, until we sort out the economics specifically around how to get regenerative ventures up and on their feet, you know, that, that remains kind of a sticky place. So I hope we can get into some of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd love to.
0: You know, you mentioned um, that there's this conference coming up too, the Regen18. Right. And, right. Um, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about that and bridge for us, uh, um, explain a little bit about SOCAP, neighborhood economics. Sure. That, that whole kind of territory <coughs> that you're involved sure. with.
1: Well, uh, so, uh, Regen18, it's net, and the premise is it's beyond sustainability and beyond impact to kind of a holistic view, you know, coming back to life, essentially regenerating, you know, and so that's the idea. I saw the need for the conference when I was working with uh, an, a, a great project of, that, that is both uh, uh, a lot of blended value, but it's really... Um, massive indigenous wealth creation uh, linked to uh, scalable regenerative forestry in Mexico uh, with non-timber forest products, uh, you know, pine resin. And uh, I was trying to explain that to a family office and they loved the fact that uh, it was the biggest uh, reforestation happening in Mexico project. And uh, that there was an 80% survival rate rather than 18% on the trees because we could because it was linked to community wealth, people had, uh, and were forward paying some of that uh, to the people who are going to create that wealth, that people could maintain the trees. So that's why we had such a high survival rate, and it's why we could scale so fast. But then they came back and they said, you know, we have no place to put uh, indigenous community wealth if it's a material factor in the trees that we fund and you know they they had ways to to look at people as you know do they poach or are they good labor essentially and uh because they were tree focused and they had no way to you know in the way they structured deals they had no way to look at community wealth being a way you would get better tree outcomes because they were only focused on tree outcomes so i said i need to help them and i realized i would have had needed to help the same impact investor from the social side from SoTap to understand the value of the ecosystem around the pine resin and how it all works. And, uh, you know, it's non-extractive and it's an old cultural practice. And, and, you know, it's 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 an amazing thing. It's an amazing project, but they had no place to put it. So I needed to create a new event as a place for them to see a bigger story, you know, see beyond the trees to the people and you need livelihoods. And so that's, I'm hooked up with Mark Barish and we're doing that event. But within that event, there there are lots of people who are experts in regenerative forestry. And I have one project around non-timber forest products certified from seed biomedicinals, which we think is going to be a pretty good, interesting thing uh, coming across the network, working with the Warren Wilson College uh, lab. His extraction of biomedicinals, wild harvest has become a real problem in southern Appalachia. We're kind of the the most biodiverse place in the country. You know, there's more goldenrod and black cohosh and ginseng and and all that here, but it's being extracted wild harvest because of increased demand on the coast and web marketing. And so it's at risk. So we're putting out a certified from seed uh, biomedicinal so you know that when you buy it, it's being replenished. And that will, I think, augment the income enough locally so that smallholders won't have to sell their family land for taxes because the property values are rising. But we're going to have other ways that it will fit in with much larger forestry projects in uh, central Appalachia that, you know, where there's Kentucky and West Virginia where there's massive uh, mountaintop restoration, but they're looking for for-profit ways to, to, to add to their landscape scale stuff. So across most of uh, the capital s- s- section, where they're doing landscape sales scale regenerative things, The the real money seems to come from the public sector and philanthropic sector. You know, the World Wildlife Fund meets meets big foundations focused on central Appalachia. And they're only figuring out how for-profit fits in into the capital stack and that they should. I'm working with one pretty famous foundation that is focused on climate change that has realized they have to change their theory of change so that the market is not, you know, the mess they clean up from, but it's actually a partner and that they need. For-profit startups within their philanthropic, uh, landscape-scale uh, regenerative forestry and ag projects, and so they're just having to change the way they think. So, so regen so, is about changing that way of thinking.
0: So uh, help us uh, imagine, like if, if one of the listeners decides you know they're they're close enough in time and and place that they, they want to participate in this, um, like what what's it going to be like there? How, how's it? How's it yeah, well, kind of activities do you think people get in, get yeah, into?
1: Yeah. Sure. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, thought leaders. And so we're going to have kind of a morning that's a mix of thought leaders and practical projects you could be involved in, you know, and so Carol Sanford is speaking and Hunter Lovins and Amanda Ravenhill from the Buckminster Fuller Institute and Andrea Armani from uh transformed finance. And then there are punchy things you could get involved in like uh, Karina gold and the Ohlone uh, tax for uh, sovereign land in Oakland around the land trust, and once you know it's there, how can you not pay the indigenous tax? Uh, <clears throat> and and she'll be there explaining this new vehicle that, that creates a whole new relationship. If you want to think of yourself as you know a good business contributing to the community, well, there's an loaning tax. You know there is an indigenous tax, and that that you can pay. And so there's there's also you know projects coming out of saving circles uh, led by uh, undocumented people. That they've figured out a way to use corporate personhood, so they, they have deportation risk. So if somebody gets deported and their assets through a savings circle end up in a bank, they can't get them. But here, because they're a member of a corporation, if you get sent to El Salvador, you still get your your assets. And so we're looking to to roll that out in a bigger way. So there's there'll be you know innovative finance, and there'll be case studies about you know why. Leasing chestnut land, you know, by the folks from Propagate, and why that makes sense, and why that's really replicating fast. So there's there are people who are solving the big funding problems on getting started. I mean, and we're also bringing in donor advised funds, which can be the patient philanthropic capital that that causes things to launch, or it can it can uh, operate on a payout with uh, capacity as as a return. You know, that you actually hire staff and you get stuff done and then that staff produces a return, you know, donor advised funds can slide in there. So we're, we're seeing all the different capital be- vehicles from funds to holding companies to crowdfunding that can, you know, cause uh, a jumpstart, this regenerative economy that's, you know, one of these zero billion dollar economies that, you know, it's almost here and everybody knows it. And, and how do you get it moving? We want to see how we can get it moving. We have a bias to action. We don't need any more definitions. There are a couple sense-making tools I'm really excited about because, you know, there's definitions, but there's a due diligence tool for what's a regenerative business building being built by Laura O or Laura Ortiz Montemayor. And we're working with her on that. And then Sean Paul of Hito Verde has got a regenerative operating system tool to so you can see what's your impact on indigenous uh, producers of uh, natural materials and ingredients have in the global supply chain. And that's in pine resin, but we're partnering with indigenous designs, Guayaquil and Lotus Foods on making that available to them too. So that we want to be able to show what our impact is in a really holistic okay. way the way we're treating indigenous producers.
0: So what, 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 I, what I'm getting from this is it's, it, at, it even states there on, the, on the, the, the webpage for it, it's not a talk shop yeah and, and um, that's really refreshing, um, but it, it sounds like there's going to be a lot of demonstrations and um, you know access to to tools and, and different methodologies that might help people who are looking to move further in or do better within the right. Impact, right. impact investment uh, sphere yeah and will they then also be brought together with some of the innovators that that are needing the investment?
1: Yeah. Oh, exactly. We'll have great projects there that are, that are ready. You know, we have the, the saving circle with, with uh deportation risk ready for philanthropic investment. We have other kinds of you know, the, the you you, the first investment is by the, by the undocumented, the saving circle. We need donor, donor investors there. And on there's a pooled uh, collateral fund for these uh, accelerators that work in marginalized communities with the premise that, uh, entrepreneurship is the path to wealth. And they've got this collateral, you know, shared uh, pooled loan loss reserve fund that'll be ready for actual investment by folks. So there's, and, there, and there's regenerative real estate size deals that are, you know, that will be causing hives of entrepreneurship in Fresno and Richmond around food and tech. So we're, we're going to see some of this stuff at scale. I'm really excited about the regenerative urbanism stuff because that brings in all my neighborhood economics can show up in the way it is, You know, a holistic approach uh, within that track, and so that's 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 the content I'm bringing in is is the you know the inclusive economy things around inclusive economy and regenerative real estate.
0: I'm I mean that to me that's all tremendously exciting, and and I mean not just exciting in terms of content, but uh, exciting to be able to see that things have advanced to this point. Um, You know, we're buried in so much negativity these days that um, you kind of have to look for the. With the bright lights, right. Um, well,
1: one outgrowth of this, I think, is going to be something we'll do a month later, and it's going to be a local capital street fair. So all the, all the funders who've got to know each other at Regen, you know, the environmental funders who looked, met a social funder and realized together we could do, you know, due diligence on a on a on a holistic deal that neither one of us can quite look at. You know, you can, you don't have a place for indigenous wealth, and and I don't have a place for you know valuing an ecosystem. Together, we can do these these deals together, right? If we you know, realize I have a binocular, you, you, I have a monocle, you have a monocle, together we get some depth perception. We want some, you know, we want some collaborative deals that, that can be, you know, the deal like a Hido Verde, you know, massive um, indigenous wealth creation, you know, one uh, community that I helped do the deal with and, and we're investing in communities there. And, you know, they have uh, 916, I think it is acres, 6,000 people they'll get 49 million over the life of the project. They get 95 cents of the dollars that go through to the refiners because the refiners need more supply because climate change has cut their supply of the refineries by two thirds. So they're willing to pay 95 cents and just get more. And so we've learned how to invest in community. So deals like that, you know, are, are replicable. You know, you can do, pine resin and then there's a global uh, dearth of supply because China just got out of it and we need it. And you know, it's, it's as big as cacao. It's 10 billion. In, and, you know, it's a, in, in ingredients everywhere. If you have, I see that you have buttons on your shirt, the thing that makes the thread flexible enough to go around the button, is pine resin. It's it's in 120 things. You've probably got it five places on your body you don't even know. It.
0: Give us give us give us a few more examples because I think most people don't. know. Yeah. It.
1: So it, it, if you use a, an ink pen, the thing that makes the ink stay on the paper is pine resin. If you have leather shoes touched by uh, rubber it's most often pine resin that's in there it's it's in it's what makes the orange stay inside gatorade <laughs> you know it's it's an emulsifier in tons of foods that you extract it into this thing that that makes stuff sticky that you want sticky you know and so it's so if, if you if you're drinking a colored drink you know the, the thing that holds the color together is pine resin. it's and it's kind of everywhere
0: wow and, and, wouldn't they, it be, and I- you
1: need it across the globe you could do it all over east africa you need uh, uh, publicly owned or community owned land that's degraded, not eroded. Uh, that where pine works, and you know where mm-hmm. local pine works,
0: and that can be grown in polyculture, agroforestry type systems as yeah, well.
1: Yeah, I mean we're looking at uh, arnica and blueberry uh, underneath, but then there's also in Mexico there are twelve indigenous universities, and one of them has a it has a plot, but also is testing all kinds of other medicinals and other things that are high value that can go in there the students are are uh, you know doing experimental plots of biodiversity that they want to ripple across the, you know because the, the, we're working with the pura petra people this is a pura petra uh university so so we have two things that work that we're doing you know, arnica and blueberry and in small quantities because we're also going tenfold over what they've done before but then the day mm-hmm. laborers who don't have usage rights and don't get those rights uh, you know there's still classes within indigenous they're making five of x what they were making and the people um, are going to be put up to the level of the the economic level of of, of, of a white collar person in portugal and these are kind of dirt poor mexican barren
0: land it's it strikes me as is kind of pleasantly ironic that um uh, you know a market opening which was created because of the negative impacts of climate change, is actually going to be able to facilitate replanting of trees, which in the end may actually help to, you know, dampen down a bit some of the worst impacts right. of climate
1: change. Yeah, scalable reforestation is, is, i become pretty obsessed with it. That's why I'm doing the Certified From Seed Biomedicinals. We're working with a college that has a, warrant from Warren Wilson's lab, that has also a few thousand acres up in Connecticut and black cohosh is no longer doing all that it used to do. Its, it's efficacy is, is doomed by climate change. It, 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 the northern black cohosh is not doing well with warmer winters. And so we are working on with them on two lab kind of things to kind of put a winter coat on southern black cohosh to take it north. Uh, so, mm-hmm. that, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it just needs to be made to adapt up there. And so I think we're going to try to build a global network of certified from seed places, you know, colleges or places that have public land. And we can do a, you know, not just count on Spitzbergen for our seed bank, but just make it do in situ. I was trying to do this a few years ago with UNESCO Biosphere Reserves, but there was no way to, to fund that network. And I think we can do it on uh, certified from seed biomedicinals, but also are by medicinals that are being restored and, and you know, you're figuring out how to enhance the medicinal qualities as well.
0: Well, I mean, that's, a, that's the thing about the, the, you know, the seed saving strategies is that I, I don't think policymakers understand enough that the only really safe place to save seed is in the hands of the community. Yeah, re, right. Replanted continuously.
1: right but I think we need, we need a network of climate adaption of seed exchange. You know, as things get warmer, you need to have seeds that can things that handle warm going up to these places that are still have a little bit colder winters, you know? And so yeah, you. labs, uh, you know, becomes right. a really valuable thing. And then you, you know, then you also have an enhanced retail experience, right? I mean, if, if, imagine you're at Scarlet Sage, a great, uh, you know, uh, Medicinal shop uh, run by a friend, uh, Laura Ash, in, in San Francisco, and you have you know some golden seal, you know, or the black coash and and you say yeah. this could have been done by wild harvest, diminishing the resource and 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 lessening biodiversity, but it's still great medicine for you. Or this was replanted, and so it's good for the planet and good for you. You can sell that. You can you know uh, absolutely. This, this Boutiques, you know, you, you, yeah, it's an enhanced experience. and that Well, what I love
0: about that is
1: of, what I love of, paying, of, of planting on the smallholders thing and getting paid off five years later.
0: What I love about that, too, is, is that it starts to extend the understanding of health, you know, as, in, as embedded and a product of the environment itself so that there's this direct link between actually helping to heal land and helping to heal ecosystems and the result of an improved human health through that. Right,
1: engagement. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you can do videos and lectures about that if you want to, you know, people could, you know, but I think it'll be a product that has a story, you know, and, and then the story will also be, you know, uh, enhanced uh, resource, but also, uh, you know keeping the developers from you know moving the, the the poor southern Appalachian you know white and black and whatever people off their land uh, and and so you know you're also uh, you know uh, it, it's real easy for environmental folks to care about health but it's often not that easy for them to care about marginalized communities and so we try to make that bridge and make it easy for environmentalists to also remember that the you know they shouldn't, they should uh, share more with the, with the marginalized and, and be less exclusive.
0: Well, that's it, you know, I mean, I spent years getting, getting the kind of mainstream environmental organizations to understand that indigenous people's issues and human rights were a natural part of their, yeah. you know, their, their issue assemblage. Right, um, right exactly. And, you know, finally, finally, it did get taken up, but it took a long time and it took a lot of kind of, you know, banging on doors and banging on heads to get there.
1: Yep, it sure does. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, you know, we want to we want to go beyond banging heads to doing <laughs> deals together, but with social impact investors meeting up with, the, you know, environmentally focused investors and doing, you know, more holistic deals that either one could do on their own. You know, they each bring a valuable perspective, but they're only... They only have a partial perspective, you know, the, the socially focused impact investors have no idea how to evaluate, you know, the, the long-term ecosystem service, you know, biodiversity enhancement, you know, they, 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 they're, they're just posers in that, in that area.
0: Well, let's, let's take a step back for a sec here. Um, so like, SOCAP is, is, is the first, the first project or the first organization that you know that i have that i've seen that, that connects to you like how did you get yeah. there how did what were you doing what put you there? on that well, road well you
1: know um you know the uh that's interesting well you know i started by failing to solve malaria I saw that. Uh, you know, so so cap, so SoCap arose because i failed to solve malaria and okay. it turned out that i was uh, you know, my idea was wrong. My plan was flawed. Uh, I was the wrong guy. <laughs> and it took me a couple of years to realize all that. And, uh, and that, you know, I was good at working with people who worked with poor people, but I was bad at actually working with poor people. And I didn't have the patience to be, you know, in within the long term community engagement kind of thing and moving at the incremental pace of change of the people that You know, they bought my idea, but that meant that six months later, something would happen in Mozambique and and Swaziland. And and I just realized that, you know, I could see the person who could succeed with the malaria. And we we came in, we were going to have a tenfold reduction in mortality. um, And we had this study and said, if we can get the mothers to diagnose, uh, there'll be a tenfold reduction in mortality compared to saying, you know, she has a runny nose, uh, but saying you know this the uh, learning how to, to aggregate the symptoms to get a malaria diagnosis earlier uh, which is the heart of it and then we had to integrate it with stuff about how to make sure your nets didn't have holes with skits that we did at mother Circle, it, it was many things but it was just me coming in with a solution didn't work right and so I ran into Tim Freud It uh, was with uh, Calvert Foundation, and we, we worked together on, had worked together on a social venture uh, partners project back four years ago that uh, was my first social investment. It was a uh, bed and breakfast up in the Sierra. It could expand from 18 to 85 units, and people were driving 45 miles past it to get to Camp Mather, the uh, San Francisco camp, so it was going to work. And but we would uh, take at-risk youth and and help them learn hospitality and and uh, and restaurants uh, and and take them out of halfway houses in the city and stuff. And it was linked to Juma Ventures that had uh, a profit ice cream shops. And it was an outgrowth of that that and when Ben and Jerry's owned it. But when Unilever bought it, they went away because they said, well, we'll more or less fewer. It will more people buy ice cream in the marina if they know that 40% of the workforce are former gang members from the big block gang gang in uh, Hunter's Point. And so they said, you know, they buy less. So that, so all the nonprofit shops went away. So, you know, mm. a lot of my investing was to help solve the tragedy of Ben and Jerry's that, you know, when, when Ben sold it, you know, it got worse. Uh, I remember.
0: Yeah, yeah. I remember. And
1: so, uh, and, and so, but we invested in this, you know, bed and breakfast and, and, you know, the deal was it was 12% internal rate of return. And if the mission blew up, it'd be 16%. So, so that's okay. I had friends who couldn't get in because they said, you shouldn't have a cost in an investment for social good. You should give for good. You should be bifurcated. So we did that. And Tim and I worked well on that. And I got Calvert in, in, to invest. And, and uh, he got Calvert to invest. And I invested. And, and it, was, it, you know, it outperformed. It actually ended up at 14%. And it's, it's doing great. It's bought a second resort. Uh, doing the same kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's really working. And um, so after I failed to solve malaria, kind of just wondering, I'm like, well, shit, you know, I never ran into that kind of failure where I'm the wrong guy. And, you know, uh, I always figured it out. I've been wrong a lot, but you know, I've never been the wrong guy before. Uh, And and, uh, exactly the wrong guy. And, and I figured out who who the guy was, and it just wasn't me. And I couldn't solve the problem. So Tim said, "Well, you know, we need to do a fund. There needs because there are all these uh, social entrepreneurs that are, are doing well enough to get expansion money, and they're getting three to million or, or so to four. It takes them two or three years, and they have to wrangle so many angels that have so many dreams attached, and they're doing dream management of intrusive, you know, uh, angels who have a theory. And we need to step in and raise the money for them so they can work on expanding, you know, these social enterprises. So I said, okay, 'Okay, let's do that.'" We had a third partner join who said they could raise the money. Turned out they couldn't, but we we raised a little bit and we succeeded three out of four times. Uh, and, and just got from and, and had double digit IR and they all had mission insurance. But what I realized is that we got in front of um, Bill Gates uh, and by a guy who had been a direct report, and we wanted to invest in his company. It was a fair trade coffee company that he could get back into Bill's office because it worked down the hall. And he, you know, and he tried to explain that this was, you know, a a for-profit, mission-focused business you could make money on. And Bill stood up like a minute and a half in and he said, look, you got to stop. Don't say anymore. He says, I have two pockets. I have one I want to put all the money in the world in. What I think about is return. I have another smaller pocket I want to do good in. If you see there's a linking between those two, you have to leave the room. And so he, the guy left. We got kicked out of two other billionaires' uh, offices, not as, uh, with a, but they just said, this is an idea they couldn't be around. Didn't, we had to leave. Uh, we challenged. And so I thought, well, you know, they don't like the concept. And, and previously in my business life, I'd change the product if the people didn't like it. But I thought I wanted to change the nature of demand. Um, and so I wanted them to want something different. So I said, look, you know, they will like being around the businesses. If they can't be around the concept, they can be around the incarnation. You know, so it's, it's an embodied thing. And so we brought together our pr- prospective companies, Alterico, Better World Books, uh, Root Capital, and other. The other funds did the same thing, and they came. And then it became kind of a barn raising event. And you know, we we showed you could invest seriously with the goals of philanthropy. And that, you know, we solved that. But it works for venture. Doesn't work for non-venture. That's why I work in, in neighborhood economics, which are the things that won't go to venture. That's neighborhood scale. It'll go from a. You know, a kitchen to a kiosk, a micro business, and I worked with friends and family funding there for entrepreneurs who don't have a rich uncle or aunt.
0: Yeah, that, that's actually a question I want to come back to a, a little bit of uh, later on in the conversation with some more depth, because uh, it's something I've been thinking about a lot too recently. Um, but so that's basically what how how SoCap
1: yeah came, it, came it, together, yeah. and to create a market in order to sell my product. So you know that's
0: right. Nice. No, I like that approach. I, I mean, I think that's you know really kind of challenging the configuration of um, you know push People and pull.
1: They their way into a new way of thinking when they couldn't think their way into a new way of thinking.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah. that's a good way when to put we it. Yeah.
1: impact investing, whether you know it or not, and, and even if the evil MBAs have, have tried to make it into a linear thing for you, you've invested in all of us and invested in yourself. You've invested in the commons and the things behind your storehouse. And, and you're changed, you, know, uh, you are ontologically changed uh, by that. You're spiritually changed by that. You're suddenly investing in all of us, not just investing in yourself and then giving a little bit. Part of what you're building for yourself is building for all of us. You're different
0: in the world. Um, you know, like standard investment and, and standard venture, um, yeah. there, There's, you know, very, very clearly on the, on the trajectory is the exit. And um right, and one of the things that, that interests me is my work that, that I've been doing in terms of uh, training for entrepreneurs and you know helping them put project concepts together and, and you know, strategizing for effective organizing and, and that sort of thing mostly takes place in the sector that I would term social innovation, um, although yeah. Then, their, their economic said, the economic question? agendas, there and incentives. Yeah. But the, the thing that strikes me is different. That I'm really curious about. Uh, I'd love to get your perspective on. Is that the kind of the standard programs that are out there for for accelerators, even the impact hubs themselves? And I know you've had some some experience mm-hmm. with that. Um, yeah, it's for the, it's for someone who's going to create a company improve it, grow it to the point where they can sell it on. Everyone gets their investment back and that person takes their part and goes on to do the next thing. But the people I'm working with in social innovation um, are primarily not looking to build something they intend to sell. What they're building right. more of kind of like, this is my life choice. This is the activity I want yeah, to continue to do. A lot of that. So how does that, how does that differ in terms of the ability for for venture thinking, um, not even necessarily the okay. same channels of capital. Yeah,
1: I've worked. In, let me describe my venture experience. And you know, we had okay. uh, four companies in our portfolio. I was involved with three of them and two of them pretty deeply. And one of them, you know, I saved the company. Better World Book. Um, the, um But w- with that company, you know, it was really led by the genius of Xavier Helgeson at Better World Book. And he created an amazing business model where people give us our product, and we reduce the carbon footprint. We sell used books; we get them from libraries, cleaning out their shelves. Uh, you know, uh, the Queens libraries are biggest; they make about two hundred fifty thousand a year from books they would throw away because they do pre-sorted uh, SAP container loads. Uh, we have the New York Library, but they're not as organized. Uh, and and we you know we give eight cents on the retail dollar to uh, libraries who have to be working with the local literacy group and some global literacy groups, you know, books for Africa, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but it's an amazing business model and, and, and you can't get the mission out of it. So this is my first thing to get into after the tragedy of Ben and Jerry's. You know, if, if, if you, we, we have a reduction in the cost of goods by being given our um, products by people who trust us, you know, College book drives, librarians cleaning out their shelves, all that kind of stuff and uh, so uh, we need that level of trust and so you know if we got sold you know it's a target you know or somebody you know that would like the supply chain uh, they would the you know the hard edged accountants would say, well, this is a social mission baked into this business how can we how can we do what we did with a uh, when we took over uh, Ben and Jerry's and, and make the nonprofit you know, ice cream shops go away. Well, no, actually this social mission reduces your cost of goods. So it'll be there forever. So it's, it's about a hundred million dollar company now. And we, we put in two, 2 million got out seven and our environmental and, and social impact. You know, this is a, it's a B Corp. It has training. It works with, uh, it turns out that it, you work with two different workforce development groups. It works better than one. So, because you don't have just one set of rules, and so we have, you know, uh, uh, vets with PTSD and formerly homeless working together along with everybody. So it, it, nobody gets typecast as you know. Oh, you're the homeless. You're the PTSD. It's, it's just it's interesting how the, the the assembly lines work better with two two workforce development programs. So, but Xavier Helgeson who did that is a venture guy, and he's gone on to uh, be part of uh, Off Grid Africa, and he's raised more money than anybody for rural solar he's 140 million or so he's a swing for the ventures, fences venture guy and, and he's, this is his big shot and he'll he'll cash out and then he'll be an uber angel or whatever but you, you know none of the other entrepreneurs that I've, that I've worked with were that alterica they're still running the company uh, we helped them go from a million and a half in revs to 21 million and they went from organic and fair trade to organic and fair trade and carbon negative with offsets and then they went carbon negative with insets so that the groundwater was improved by commercial farming and they also came up with the biodegradable packaging for their uh, truffles and um, so they became better and better but you know they sold to a french family office that wants to hold them and seize the value but when you get to a 20 million dollar food company you have to sell to somebody who can get you to 100 but they need you know you need a billion to get to 100 so you know So we sold to a a family office that wants to hold it forever. So, you know, you have both of those. I mean, part of it is the makeup, but venture only works for some, you know, know, I don't believe in venture as an extractive model anymore. The things I do now would be as a holding company with no IRR. I mean, the thing that makes venture extractive is internal rate of return. You get paid more if you get your money out bigger and faster. If you get your money out longer and, and bigger, eventually it doesn't work with IRR. Right, I mean, you can get paid off bigger, longer term through a holding company that holds for long-term appreciation, like a Berkshire Hathaway. I, I'm, I'm. We're working with a, a celebrities foundation and some others, a group of southern foundations that want to do that kind of vehicle. Risk capital for growth is still really, really important. It shouldn't have to wait for collateral, but you shouldn't be have extractive returns. So I worked with Andrea Armani and Transform Financing. You include the community and on the design you include them on the operation and you include them on the, the return or exit or divvying up and you have to do that
0: so do you see do you see this actually starting to spread out now from the kind of the smaller circles of people who got it originally i got it conceptually in other words uh is know, this starting I, I, to I percolate?
1: both ways i see it heading way up into wall street kind of things and becoming more normal which is okay, you know, but I also see this regenerative stuff where you realize your reciprocal relationships, uh, and you um, and you, you know, and and this mixing of the environmental and the social and the financial, you know, this more holistic way of thinking I'm seeing happening, and, and you know, and I think our urban folks that I work with in neighborhood economics are are are. Are outliers, you know, but it's part of uh, so there's multiple tribes going. I mean, you know, we're doing this kind of investing in urban uh, accelerators focused on marginalized entrepreneurs, and we're doing this kind of investing in uh, indigenous wealth biodiversity. So there is uh, uh, there's a common way people, capital, and, and resources are being handled here that is a different way. It's not extractive. In both cases, it's not extractive. In both cases, it includes the community, the design, and and just you know what the communities want is really different, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the, no, I get that. Um, and and I, and I like I like being able to use that terminology too. The being non extractive, I think that's a really important concept to to get mainstreamed. Um, when we talk about regenerative, you know, like you have an idea, I have an idea, um, yeah. but. It's a kind of general term. It is. Um, what, when, you, when you talk about regenerative, particularly in terms of, of your work, um, yeah. do you have a, a kind of a set of, of, of parameters for that that, that are well, handy you know, for other people?
1: There, there are more yardsticks, you know, than there are yards uh, in the right. right. linguistic exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. space, you know? Uh, so we're going to have lots of voices talking about it. Uh, but I hope it all kind of starts to make sense, and and we learn to do mashups rather than dogma. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's you know that's going to be a, a you know I, I think this is this is much more uh, a space for hip hop than 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 long form sonatas, you know, and uh and and so I don't think th- there's not going to be any symphony conductors in this space. I think it's I've discovered it's a polycentric space. Everybody has a following or imagines they do. And, and there's, and there's, you know, I mean, Carol Sanford is, uh, you know, the oldest teacher and including Hunter Lovins voice and, and so many others. Uh, and, you know, but, but Carol's, Carol's, you know, been, been doing this a while. Uh, and so, you know, uh, she's my teacher in, in doing all this, but, you know, I think the practical tools of having a due diligence tool saying, you know, this, this is a regenerative ag do- deal and we, and we can invest in it or it isn't, which also helps you get there, which what Laura O's building. And then the operating dashboard that, you know, you am going to talk to them later today and, you know, they don't need to be the same thing, but they need to, to talk to each other, you know, because Sean wants to be able to show his impact and he's just ponying up the dollars to, 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 to build this thing. And, and, you know, three other people say, if you build it, we want to be part of it and we'll put our resources into it too. So, you know, that's a gutsy thing to do, but he's a, he's a creative entrepreneurial guy, builds really crazy, great systems. So I'm, I'm glad to be working with him on that. Uh, but so I think having a couple sense-making tools that, that causes the, the, the noise of definition to die down and you start making decisions about where to invest. And I think this is a way to operate rather than discussing in the abstract. I mean, you know, discussing in the abstract keeps you in the abstract.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's kind of this back and forth process where you, you have to discuss enough so you get everybody on the same page. But yeah. then re- really, I, you go back and re-describe it after you've done it. You know, yeah. And, yeah. And so it's we like, well, we, what did we actually do here?
1: Right, exactly. So we hope we can get some deals done or start some relationships working that that, that can be, you know, multicultural deals. That will be, you know, uh, multiple capital uh, forces uh, uh, Discovering each other, discovering you know a, a, an open collaboration space, some some deals that need some, some you know, businesses to need funding uh, with complicated interesting capital stacks, ways to participate by, by giving by being a Kiva you know uh, Hedo Verde has 000, 000, a million dollars a twelve year line from Kiva that they've already got you know seven thousand people doing so there's ways to participate all over the place, you know philanthropic investing. So we want there to be, you know, ways you you can take actions in small steps. You know, you can get into our uh, non-timber forest product DAF for 10 bucks through a credit card. You know, provide some of that uh, essential patient capital that, that we can do there. So we want ways to take small actions that move the whole thing forward and then some big institutions to do a little bit of a mating dance, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well yeah because they can move bigger pieces and that kind of thing yeah but, but, what's, but your, you, what's your what's with, your sense you know, of where this could go say in the next 10 or 15 years
1: yeah and the next, well you know i think that you know um you know i, I think we can build uh, uh economic bio regions that work for everybody uh, with uh, some financial tools that are networked uh, some uh you know technology that's networked but i think you know we can we can have much shorter supply chains and all those you know kinds of things we we have massive reforestation is super important so i you know i'm really interested in in livelihoods around trees you know from either non-timber forest products or other things that could you know the meadows that could be biome you know the high margin products that that can make uh, uh you know i i want there to be you know People who own small plots of land uh, that are biodiverse, that, that they can afford to keep the family land in lots of places, or the community land in with the Pirapacha. Nobody owns land, but communities own land. So, so I want I want more local ownership. Uh, you know, I, I I think there's there's a there's a, a, a Catholic principle of subsidiarity that, but Garth, uh, uh, that, that uh, Gar Garth that Perevitz uses, which is like you make the decision at the smallest local level as possible. You know, so you make it in the community if you can, you know. And so we're looking for democratic sources of capital from things like saving circles, uh, and, and from, uh, you know, uh, uh, investments with a good loan loss reserve and invest. So I, I think I want to see, you know, capital in the hands of underrepresented entrepreneurs. There's a huge innovation gap because the people who know the problems aren't getting to solve the problems. We're giving it to students from Stanford and Harvard who, who, who know how to talk to venture capital folks
0: yeah gaps
1: yeah, I, you know local people having more access to local capital, building local economic bioregions, but things that are networked should be networked, and things that are sometimes it's national, sometimes it's regional, you know sometimes it's sister city projects, you know I, I think networks of cities and, and and figuring out how the world fits in, you know I think a lot of that can be reforestation and, and agroecology and stuff like that.
0: We're going to take a break now. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Designers of Paradise is made possible in part by Mind & Media. Over the last quarter century, the writers, producers, storytellers, and media specialists at Mind & Media have spearheaded a multitude of engaging and complex communication campaigns. Mind & Media is a proud supporter of the work being done by the wonderful and passionate people of Rasa, who are engaged in the creation of a regenerative future for generations to come find out more about mind and media at mindedmedia.com. that's m-i-n-d-a-n-d-m-e-d-i-a.com and now back to designers of paradise and host eric van lennon welcome back to designers of paradise today we're chatting with kevin jones one of the organizers of the Regen 18 conference coming up this May 1 through 4 in San Francisco. So um, my question was, and still remains after, after the brief uh, hiatus here, um, if you could give us a real visual kind of sensory um, image of how you hope that the whole regenerative space you know, might start to look, say, 15, 20 years from now. Like, what would it feel like um, to walk through it, you know, to maybe enter right, right. one of those, those well, forest spaces or be in the community that's benefiting from it or be in yeah.
1: exchange. Well, I think broadly, we will not have long supply chains much, and we have to deal with you know, what that means for precious metals in our devices that we're using right now. But for the most part, I think we'll have bioregional economies. Uh, and I hope that we have you know, regenerative forestry at scale. So forest farming, non-timber forest products, all those sorts of things are huge. I hope that we still have a communications infrastructure that's global. Uh, I hope that we've learned to live with difference rather than having to descend into tribalism. Uh, I hope we can you know, find the, the patterns by which we can live together with climate change, the folks up the hill need to, are starting to understand that the folks down the hill who get flooded first really matter and have to be part of your resilience plan. But you can't get them engaged in the way some of these top-down foundation resilience networks have sort of hired a resilience officer to work in a city that has no direct uh reporting to anything that's happened before and then they go to poor neighborhoods and, and they say, y'all need to change because we realized we're all connected and they're not getting good adoption. So I think we will have figured out uh, culturally appropriate technical assistance where the affluent uh, can help uh, marginalized communities to become part of a resilient and, and and regenerating coming back to life whole by learning um you know what kind of uh, multicultural transfers from affluent to marginalized neighborhoods uh, cause greater trust, uh, and that cause greater value to be to be uh, burned. So I think you know we'll have more cross-network partnerships, and and more. Uh, you know um, I think we'll have a lot more community ownership, and I think we'll have a lot more. Uh, employee ownership i used to think as a heroic entrepreneur type that when they talked about employee ownership there was a re- going to be a revolution and i was going to they were going to come in and take my desk and my nameplate you know for whatever you know because i had you know been the guy with the idea and you know brought in my wife and made it into a business and we'd gotten in the first money and then we'd we uh you know would bootstrap it from there and only only asked for investment dollars on one company and and That was our only failure. Anyway, that was an odd thing to to become a professional investor. And I've always turned down investment, but I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. And so um, I I think we will have more employee ownership uh, because I think, you know, distribution of wealth is a way to fight the amazons and the walmarts and so that enables local businesses you know i think a lot of things will be in purchasing co-ops so that small businesses you know small bookstores small restaurants have have collaborative purchasing to equal the big box folks so the big box uh folks will be fought off by collective ownership uh you know and, and creating local economies where the wealth is kept locally i think we'll have to transform our banking sector so that our money doesn't leave town every night you know and we don't want to bank with stores whose, t- leave, whose money leaves town every night like the walmarts or the amazons so i think we have to fight off the you know the extractive you know online and, and physical giants of amazon and walmart ways right, to create local economies i think we need you know local electric power, electric power distribution and you know there, there could be currencies that are helpful but i think you know we need we need local banking you know Public banking is not expanded out of uh, North Dakota, but it should. I work with a lot of credit unions, and they're great, but they don't have leverage. Banks, you you can you can transform a community with a good bank in a way that you can't with any other instrument. But I see a lot of regenerative real estate happening too, where you know uh, depressed real estate becomes a hive for entrepreneurs in uh, uh, for marginalized communities in tech, like in Fresno with Bitwise, or like in Richmond with the uh, uh, The food system project working at scale with Kaiser's food system that uh, Emerald City is doing. So I see replicable models around anchor institutions that are creating, you know, community wealth and health Uh, so so, much more ownership by the people of, of rather than the investors.
0: Let me just stop you there for a sec, um, because when we first started talking, uh, you'd mentioned something about regenerative urbanism and real estate, and now yeah. you've, just, you've just referenced two you've, Kaisers and someone else in the Bay Area, yeah. but, you know, as, assuming most of the people listening aren't in the Bay Area, um, maybe say a little bit more about how that's structured and, and how that's happening. Yeah,
1: yeah, well, in Richmond, the Emerald Cities Project, and they've got the name for the project is something beneath them, but, but they're after, they're not taking over or buying Kaiser's food service, but they're deeply partnering with it so that the community would own it over time. I have to like be careful with the wording of that. But it means that that will then throw off cash that would enable Food entrepreneurs at many, many scales to, you know, to feed into Kaiser, but then to also do boutique restaurants or boutique food service things. So, uh, using an anchor institution as a hype for entrepreneurship, it's it's part of the Cleveland co op model, but it's evolved to a lot more ownership and a lot more startups and things. And I think uh, Bitwise is a similar thing in Fresno. They've got about 250,000 square feet, I believe. And they started with incredibly you know, depressed urban real estate. I mean, they're, they're getting the key. To some downtown buildings by saying, "Look, give us the keys, and we'll split. You know what we build on this from you." And that people are who've had no tenants in seven years are saying, "Please do something." You know, and so they've uh, it turned out there was a lot of tech entrepreneurs in uh, Fresno that didn't know about each other. Well, you know, uh, folks working at you know making two hundred and fifty a year, but they could grow, and the, so they did uh, education to to feed those. Those that sector that they gathered together, they own some software and, and some software companies. It turned out that Square, uh, you know, the payments thing doesn't really have a, a good API. So they've built an API and Square has given them 2,500 of their customers to, to do the API. It's just doing an API to, to custom stores was never, uh, never what Square wanted to do. Uh, and so... Uh, now they're raising 20 million more to, to make a community there. There's no cafes, there's no breweries, there's no live work. But, but that's, those are both examples of where regenerative real estate can become a hive for entrepreneurs for marginalized communities. And then there's enough money as the real estate regenerates to fund the capacity and training and all the other stuff.
0: Yeah, so I suppose it's a question of, keeping the, of closing the loop.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, yeah, it, it is, but 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 so that kind of stuff is what I see in urban areas, and I think you know there, there will be uh, uh, there will be lots of hides of regenerative real estate that you know, and and it could be that the market takes up or more function as the state kind of decays. I mean, you know, the, the nation state may have been you know uh, not quite at its sell date, but it's much less strong than it used to be. So I think this will be you know, a globally networked, deeply local kind of thing that works in urban areas, but has, has a different model where biodiversity and forestry
0: are the answer. So do you see a way that in, in, uh, in the configuration that includes the regenerative urbanism, um, cities as a whole, you know, whether, whether aggregated through more viable communities within them or or as some some larger sense of, of of the full city, can be taking a much stronger role in the regeneration of the areas they depend on outside, including forests, um, including it works on, on the neighbor. Yeah, it,
1: uh, yeah, and I think it works on you know uh, vi- revitalizing the most marginalized and vulnerable neighborhoods. You know, that's if you're restoring a watershed, you would want to make sure that the most fragile you Know ecotone that placed between two uh, biomes, you know, which is often the, the space of uh, one inch above or one inch below running water. And you want to make sure the bugs that go there uh, can be viable. That shows that what water is clean, and, and you know, and you want to that's one of the, the system markers. You also want to see how the raptors are doing, how they're growing. And so, you know, regenerative real estate in marginalized areas is like, you know, the the fragile ecotone, you know, and, and and making that viable and connecting them to, you know, the resources and affluent neighborhoods, but as customers or investors, you know, I think is, is is how we can revitalize cities using the same kind of thing. And you know, then there's there's things within that. As I mentioned, you know, the aloney tax, you know, I mean there there are, you know, Working with Hispanics and you know, in the mission, we're working with folks who want to augment their income so that they don't have to move out as property values rise. And so that's where we're working with La Cucina uh, entrepreneurs, and we're connecting actually a La Cucina entrepreneur, amazing woman who spent 16 employees, uh, raising 600 thousand to move out of you know the incubator uh, that La Cucina is even at scale uh, in, into a property. And uh, she's a, a you know grew up in a Thai. Uh, refugee camp. She's uh, Cambodian. And, uh, you know, the folks in slow money world or WeFunder who love that size of deal, which is more of the, the farm to table uh, kind of world and slow money and, you know, WeFunder likes micro breweries, they should know about that deal. And so we, we're trying to do some of that connecting and kind of ad hoc nonprofit merchant banking uh, as we uh, create this uh, local capital street fair. And so I think you know people will invest across neighborhoods in in their economic bioregion if this thing works.
0: The local capital street fair is that is, is that's that's up online too for for listeners who might want to check that out.
1: Yeah, Maybe. it's it, at neighborhoodeconomics.org. I'm not sure it's up there yet. It's June eighth and 9th. We're working on it. Everybody's okay. signing up. It's kind of amazing from people who have said yes, I I need it. So, you know, and we've sold it and actually had two other cities want it. And so we have to come up with the one pager so we can get the first money in the door. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And you know, sometimes you sell an idea before you've written it down and we've actually sold it twice. Uh, so I can't say that. It's,
0: but you know. Yeah, it's kind of a good feeling, isn't it? You know, the right kind of catch up to have to be running.
1: Yeah, exactly. You, usually it's like, hey, pay attention to this thing I thought up. And it's like, I thought up this thing, I'll buy it. Oh, okay. Um, Package coming right up. You know? <laughs>
0: you know. Yeah, that, that, that's no beautiful. Sometimes it works like that. Yeah, it's beautiful.
1: You know, you, you, usually, you come up with an idea and you flog it forever, and people finally pay attention. But sometimes this one, this one really caught
0: on. Um, just before we go, let's let's circle back around to Regen 18 because that's, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's on the gonna... horizon there. For Regen 18, um, yeah, what are you what are you hoping is is going to be the result of it this time? The,
1: I'm hoping that environmentally focused investors who will learn to partner with socially focused investors with, into holistic deals that neither one could quite really handle by themselves, uh, and that's on the landscape, you know, food ag, soil kind of thing. And I think you know we're we're coming up with some sense making tools, the due diligence tool and the uh, operating tool that Hidro Verde is building so that we can make decisions faster uh, and 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 accelerate the flow of capital to truly regenerative deals faster. I, you know, I, I want to accelerate the field and I want to make it easy. And, you know, I'm, I'm not creating the sense-making tools, but two people are creating sense-making tools, two organizations, and, and we want to really help them because, you know, every first lens is wrong. And so these will be wrong, but, you know, they're folks who will listen and so we'll get it right. But, you know, you, you want to and the two are perfect complements, right? One is we'll monitor operations and the other is we'll figure out how to invest, you know, how can those, those are not the same thing, but they need to talk to each other. So I think as those two projects build their network and I'm actually talking to them in about 20 minutes, uh, how they can work together. I think they will create the, the locus around which this market can arise. And I think it's, 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 it's a, it's a polycentric space. There are many thought leaders, you know, uh, and and there's not a plan there's going to be you know many solutions to this thing and everybody has you know a, a deep theory and god bless your theory everybody has one uh, and, and, and let's all find you know, some middle ground where we can get you know find the single point of partnership where we can get stuff done
0: Sounds beautiful. I think that's probably a good place to end it, too, given all our technical complications today.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Eric. Uh, and, and I was thinking like, he does not look like Dave Witzel, and I realized later how it all fits. So I've looked you up. So, so thank you for spending the time.
0: Thank you for listening to Designers of Paradise. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Join me next week as we bring you another eye-opening interview with the people who are revolutionizing the way we produce our food. Indeed, the people on the front lines of Designing Paradise. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. To learn more, go to www.rasa.ag. That's www.rasa.ag. If you have any ideas you'd like to suggest, such as folks we should be talking to or a specific topic we should cover, hit me up with your ideas on Twitter at Greenheart. That's G-R-E-E-N underscore H-E-A-R-T, Greenheart. We'll see you next week.